We're going to start here in just a minute, uh, give you a little time to get settled. Uh, we're going to be looking at John chapter 11. I have to tell you that it, this is one of the most familiar chapters in all the Bible. In fact, just the average man on the street will could tell you about Lazarus being raised from the grave. In fact, if you watch late TV, uh, there's a lot of comedians that even use uh, people being raised from the dead, and they always point back to Lazarus. So what, what I'm trying to say to you is that today is a very unique situation because not only is it known to the Christian community, but it's known to the world, and yet the world looks at it much different than we do. And yet, I think one of the things that is the very essence of this particular chapter is when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on to say that if you die, you really don't die, you live. And when we begin to think about that and, and put it into the reality of our life, it really begins to expand in such ways that, uh, that that's why this, this, this particular class is going to be, uh, well, it won't be exciting for everybody, but it's definitely exciting for me because it just opens up an avenue of so many life applications to our life. Uh, when, you, when you begin to see what this means to what this means to me on Monday morning, what it means to me when it comes to my family, what it means to me when it comes to my relationship with my grandchildren. It begins to just take a tremendous amount of uh, power in our life. And so I hope that I can communicate that. And if those of you who get bored with what's going on here, if you'll just start praying for me, that'd be really good, okay? Uh, that way, you, you can be doing something that's useful instead of just blanking out, okay? Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father, I give you praise and glory for this wonderful opportunity. I pray that you will use my words to encourage, to convict, to excite. Lord, I thank you for the way that you teach us in such a way that even familiar scriptures come alive and they come to with new meaning and I thank you and I give you all praise. Lord, as we, we, as we speak to you this morning, we'd like to lift up those people that we love and there are so many people in our community of faith that are sick, that are walking through hard times, that really don't know what tomorrow will bring. Lord, I pray that you would touch each and every one of those, the many names that have been lifted up to you. And Lord, it is without any hesitation that we pray for those Ukrainian people who have shown us so much resistance, so much faith. Lord, help them in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 
I hope that you've been able to read this or if you haven't read the chapter recently that it becomes that it become more familiar as we walk through but I, I think the center of it and I, I have to just start there is the resurrection uh, to look at it any differently I, I, I just don't know where to go so if you'll look with me Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so the question this morning is to each one of us, is do we really believe this? And, and if we do believe this, what, do, what difference does it make? And I I think, first of all, that we need to look, even though it might be familiar to us, is let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'd like to read a couple of verses there of just what is the resurrection? What does it look like? Uh, what does this mean? And Paul would try to communicate to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading with verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And of course, that's exactly what the word that Jesus will use to talk about death. And basically, that's what the New Testament uses, is asleep. I do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or who are dead. For the Lord himself will descend from the heavens with a cry of command and the, voice of an and the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now listen to this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words tremendous idea to think about the resurrection in this way and what it will be like and Jesus begins to talk to us in, in such a way that this becomes a reality not only in, in someone else's life but in our own life and whether or not that happens in my lifetime uh, I know that regardless uh, if I'm here when the Lord comes, I know what's going to happen. If I'm in the grave, I know what's going to happen. And that, to me, is exciting. It's, it, 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 there's hope there that the very thing that we fear the most, the sting of death, the, the very power of death, is the very thing that the, the resurrection Jesus wants us to know, how beautiful this can be. 
But with that being said, I think there's something else that we need to talk about when we talk about the resurrection, and that is the resurrection life that we're living right now. What does the resurrection life look like? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul talks about the resurrected life. He said, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Let me talk about that last part. And your life is hidden in Christ. Every one of you who are living the resurrected life this is you. You are hidden in Christ. What amazing thing that is of the security that you have right now as you walk the Christian life. And so to talk about the resurrected life, how does that happen? If you have been raised with Christ, what does that mean? If you've been raised with Him, when were you raised with Him? Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism unto death, so that as Christ was raised by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, that's the very moment that you were raised with Christ. And as you look back to that moment, whether it was at a, a Christian summer camp, whether it was in this baptistry or another baptistry, you know what that's like. You are living the resurrected life. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 2. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. But it's Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. People, that's the resurrected life. I've been crucified with Christ. I walk around daily. Not only do I do that, each and every one of you. When you were raised with Christ, that's a resurrected life. And you have been crucified with Christ. To think about how you were connected with Him. Through the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. You were connected with him and he has you hidden in him because of that resurrected life. I'd like for us to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Beginning with verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I count everything as lost just to know Him. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith. I have the righteousness of God. When you look at me and when I look at you, I see the righteousness of God. I see God in you. It's amazing. Because I'm living the resurrected life. Because you are living the resurrected life. Then he goes on to say, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering and becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I'd like for us to think about that just for a moment. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This morning when you leave this building, I pray that there will be something that's new within you of knowing the power of the resurrection in your life, that you are living that resurrected life. And there's something about that resurrected life that there is a power that's beyond our imagination. And so, Skip, I want to know, when you talk about that power, what, what do you really mean? I mean, yeah, it's the power of the resurrection. That seems pretty abstract to me. I get it. I get it. So, with that being said, let's see what it says about the power of the resurrection. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'd like to read the last two verses in that chapter. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Number one, what's the power of the resurrection? That God makes you worthy. How many times have we asked somebody to do something, I'm not worthy to do that? Look at Skip Clark. I'm not worthy to stand before you. <laughs> Gary, I don't want to do this. I'm not worthy enough to do this. I'm doing the very opposite of what this power, this scripture tells me. That God empowers me to be worthy of the Lord. When I look at my own life and I look at the sin in my life, and I'm not talking about big, wonderful sins. I'm not trying to confess these horrible stuff. And yet every single day I sin. And when I do sin, I have this power within me of the resurrected life that gives me the idea that I can be worthy of the Lord. Lord, I'm not worthy. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. God may give you, make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Think about that. Every thought that I have of resolve to do that which is right, God empowers me because I live the resurrected life. That's what that scripture is saying. That's what the power of the resurrection life is. Let me go on to say, every work of faith by his power, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you will be glorified in him according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That is so exciting. I'd like to challenge you to do something. As husband and wife, I'd like to challenge you to pray for each other. That God will empower you to do the things that your faith prompts you to do so that the name of Jesus will be glorified and you will be glorified in him. I'd like for you to start praying that. To those of you who are single, I'd like for you to connect with a friend. And I'd like for you to say to this friend, I'm going to pray for you if you will pray for me. I'm going to pray that God will empower you to do the things that your faith prompts you to do so that the name of Jesus will be glorified in you and you will be glorified in Jesus. Wow, what wonderful thing that is to live the resurrected life. People, it's exciting to think that every one of us in this room who have been raised with Christ, we're living that resurrected life. So, do you know the power of the resurrected life? I hope that that's one of the encouraging things that you leave this morning with. Well, let's go back to John chapter 9, okay? I mean 11, excuse me, that's where I am. John chapter 11. Look at verse 4. Well, let's start with verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus from Beth, Lazarus Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed, anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. It's amazing that John goes out of his way to say something that has not yet been written in fact, it's not, not will be revealed until chapter 12. That's where you learn that this woman, Mary, took her hair and prepared him for this wonderful, I mean, this wiped his feet with her hair. That doesn't happen until chapter 12, and yet John wants us to know that's the way he's introducing this person to us. I'm not going to get into that, but it's quite odd to me. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness is, does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God. Of course, when we look at this particular story, we realize why it is the glory of God, because that's where the resurrected, he talks about the resurrection. That's where Lazarus comes forth from the grave. What glory. And yet I want to say something to us individually. Yes, we're not going to raise the dead. But I want to tell you that every trial and tribulation you walk through, you can either give glory to God or it can be a mess. I don't care what trial you walk through. It either will bring glory to God or you will be a mess. I 
I know that sounds pretty harsh, but that's exactly what it is because the trial of any believer can ultimately become that very thing. I have a daughter that's in her 50s. She's a second grade teacher in a little small community in Texas. She has a friend. Her name is Robin. Robin is now deceased. She was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 39. Her and her husband made a covenant together that regardless of what happened, that she was going to bring glory to God. And so she began to wear a bracelet. In fact, she bought many of these beaded bracelets. When the doctor diagnosed her as having cancer, she looked at the doctor and said, this is going to be a win-win. If I'm cured from cancer, it's going to be a win. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. It's a win. As she wore these bracelets, and she would go to her chemotherapy, as she would go to the doctor, it went on for four years. And from time to time, people would say something about a bracelet. And she would take it off, and she would give it to the person. And the person would say, no, 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 I don't want to take your bracelet. And she said, yes, I'm going to give it to you if you'll do two things. Number one, if you'll pray for me. And number two, if you'll tell somebody about Jesus. She died last year after four years of fighting cancer. But the many people that she influenced because of her trial of cancer was amazing. In fact, at her funeral, there were many of those doctors and nurses who had talked about her bracelet that were there at that funeral. Just because of the influence, you can bring glory to God regardless of the trial that you walk through. And as Jesus said to these disciples, this is for the glory of God. And when we live the resurrected life, we can give glory to God regardless of the trials that we walk through. I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I want us to begin reading with verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4. Beginning with verse 10. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since that love covers a multitude of sins. And show hospitality 
to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, now listen to this, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God has gifted each and every one of you. I don't know what that gift is. I have no idea what it is. It may be the gift to speak. It may be the gift to serve. It may be the gift to encourage. I don't know what your gift is. But it is all to the glory of God. And to live the resurrected life is to live to the glory of God. And when you are doing whatever you're doing, when you're using your gift, however that is, you're bringing glory to God through Jesus Christ. And that's what the resurrected life is all about. It's living to the glory of God. I know that we can't look at every verse in this chapter because it's a very long chapter. But as we've looked at the glory of God, as we've looked at the resurrected life, I'd like to look at one other thing, or several other things. <laughs> the next thing that I'd like to look at is in chapter 11, beginning with verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the day. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And somebody says, I, I don't understand. And Skip Clark didn't understand at first either. Okay? So I had to go back to verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he lived where he was, excuse me. He loved her. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. He loved this family, but he stayed two more days. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go up to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And that's when Jesus said these words. Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the day. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is in the day. Is not in him, excuse me. What, what does that mean? It means that there was a divine appointment for him, as long as it was going to be day, he was going to do what God had asked him to do. To raise Lazarus was a divine appointment. He had to walk in the day because the night was coming. He said almost the very same words in chapter 9 when he said, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And that's the blind man. In other words, 
the blind man was a divine appointment. The raising of Lazarus was a divine appointment. And what I'm saying to you as a living the resurrected life is there are divine appointments to you. And you say, Skip, you already talked about that. Yeah, I did. But it's here again. So I'm going to talk about it again. There are divine appointments in your life. There are people who come into your life. There are individuals that you work with. There are individuals who you do exercise with. There's people in the gymnasiums. There are people that you do jeeps with. Whatever you do in life, there's divine appointments that God has set you to those individuals. And when you live the resurrected life, you are aware of those. You become, you ask God to give you the insight to allow that to take place. The influence in your life. Divine appointments. The next thing I want to look at is how God strengthened three different groups of people because of this particular instance. The three groups of people were the disciples, Martha, and the Jews. Uh, when you live the resurrected life, you're willing to, you are asked to strengthen the faith of others. I want you to notice what Jesus does here. Beginning with verse 14, let's look at this just for a moment. Chapter 11, verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, did you hear that? And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. I wonder what the disciples thought about that. They knew that Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha so very much. And yet he says, I'm glad that we weren't there and we didn't go because I want to teach you something about your faith. I want you to have a stronger faith than you have. And that's exactly what happened. Is that his disciples became stronger in their faith as they saw the many things that took place but especially this particular thing right now as the rising of Lazarus and so what I say to you is that there will be times in your life that you will be one of the ones who is asked to strengthen another's faith when you live the resurrected life there are certain things that will come up in your life that you are there to strengthen the faith of others. And guess what? Your own life will be strengthened as well. Martha. Let's look at Martha just for a minute. Go to verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That's a tremendous faith right there, isn't it? I mean, this woman had 
If you'd have been here, Jesus, I know you would have taken care of this. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Foul. I mean, you talk about strong faith. Not only the fact that I know if you were here, you would have taken care of this, but I know now that you are here, I wish you'd have been here a long time ago, but now that you are here, I, I know that whatever is going to happen is going to be good, and God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, oh, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, no, wait a minute. I need to tell you something else. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Isn't it amazing that Martha, her faith was strengthened? To think what actually took place when you look at verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God who is coming into the world. At that particular time, there was something that she had even a deeper faith than she'd ever had. I know that you are the Christ. Up to this particular point, Martha had had a wonderful relationship with Jesus. She knew that he was a powerful man. She knew that he was a miracle worker. She had heard and seen many times of the things that had taken place. But at this moment, it, it became even greater. I know that you are the Christ, the one that has been written to us in the Old Testament all these many years. You are the Messiah that, has been, that is to come into the world. You are the one, I believe. And there is a moment in our life where we come to that same recognition that no longer is Jesus just one of these people that we talk about in Bible class that we learn when we are in Sunday school as a kid, when we go to camp, all of that. All of a sudden there comes a time in our life when we say, yes, I believe. And what I'm saying is that there are times that we strengthen others' faith that they come to that belief. And we don't take any glory to ourselves because it's all to the glory of God. And finally, the Jews. Let's look at verse 45. Well, let's start with verse 44. The man who had died came out, and his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. We're so afraid of the Romans that we're going to kill this man. And yet at the same time, some of the Jews believed. And so 
what I'm saying here is that this particular thing not only increased the faith of Martha, not only did it increase the faith of the disciples, but it increased to those Jews who had up to this particular point been absolutely discouraged with the fact of this man Jesus. And they also came to believe. And so what I'm saying to you, and I know at this particular time you're saying, wait a minute, Skip, you've said it over and over again. I'm talking about the resurrected life. And when we live the resurrected life, we're people who can strengthen other people's faith by the things that we are allowing our gifts to be used to His glory. And that's an amazing thing. So, with all that, I think that we see the beauty of, of all of the, what this is all about. Is this the beauty of God working in our life. So, at this particular point, I'd really like for us to get to the point where we allow you to interact with me and with one another. And there's probably, this has stirred your mind in certain ways that you'd like to make a comment or you'd like to ask a question about all of this that we've been talking about. Anybody got a comment, question, thought? Maybe not even applicable to anything that I've said at all. Just that's applicable to John chapter 11. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm reading a book right now. Pam reads these books and they fix out so you need to read this. That's how I find things to read. But it's by Andy Stanley, and he, I was reading a comment that he made uh, yesterday. I was reading or the day before, and it it really connects to what you're saying about us living differently than being satisfied with attending <coughs> church. But his comment was, uh, to paraphrase it, he said, "Those who are." forgiven by Christ should live devoted to Christ. If, if we're forgiven, then our Christian life is not just something that uh, we have a connection with, uh, but it's beyond that. It's to be devoted. To be forgiven to Him is to be devoted to Him. And that's what you're saying about living a resurrected life. Okay, to those of you who may not have heard every word that he spoke, he's reading a book, and it's by a man by the name of Stanley, Andy Stanley. And uh, it talks about how that we are individuals that not only are we saved by him, but we're forgiven for him, we also ought to be devoted to him. And I, I think that's the very thing about uh, the resurrected life is that the resurrected life causes us to be devoted to whatever that situation that arises in our life that we are able to bring glory to God. And I think that's absolutely true. Well, uh, 
I've told you everything that I know, and so if, if, uh, if somebody else doesn't say anything, we're going to have a, a time to really get together and talk. <laughs> because my mind's empty right now. I've poured out everything. Yes, Steve. I think that verse 43, the English standard says, Jesus says, come out. Verse 44, he comes out, but it says his, his feet were bound, his face was covered. What must that have been like to have seen him come out of the tomb? You get the feeling he couldn't walk. Jesus coming out, I just can't help but wonder if he wasn't like levitated, and what an incredible sight that must have been. Okay, Steve is really talking about something that's very unique in the fact that his feet was bound and he was bound and yet when he says come out, how did he come out? Was he, how did he do that? It was an amazing thing as Steve said and, and it would, yeah, and that would have been an astonishing thing as well. Amen to that, Steve. Wow. Maybe each leg was wrapped separately. Oh, is that... Like a okay, <laughs> he said that maybe that his legs were wrapped separately instead of together. <laughs> so you can take any picture that you want to take with you. Yes. I, I don't know if I read this somewhere or what, but anyway, in a text conversation with my grandson, we were talking about sin and. It isn't so much the struggle of giving up sin that hinders us. It is something far more difficult. It is the struggle of giving up the right to ourselves. Who is on the throne of your life? That is the struggle. We're bought with a price. We no longer, we're no longer ourselves. That price being the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, sin is the very thing that it causes us to be the person that doesn't allow God to really work in our life. And when we decide that he's going to be working in our life, then sin becomes less of a thing in our life and we're to give glory to him. Amen. I think that's so true. Okay, people, I'm going to say uh, amen and we're gonna ha you're going to have a, an extra 15 minutes to do whatever you want to do because I'm empty right now. All right? All right. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.